0: Oh cripes, Lita, where are we going to find four patsies at short notice who love speaking their minds? I have just the stooges you're looking for How competent are they? Well, remotely competent
1: That's close enough Hello Shadow of the Past, a side project of the Card Game Cooperative podcast, where we take a bit of time to look at individual scenarios from across the co-op LCGs created by Fantasy Flight Games. My name is James, and joining me today are Will. Hello! And Simon. Good morning, evening, afternoon, depending on the time you're listening to this. Uh, Usually at least one of those. How how are we all today?
2: I'm alright, thank you. A little bit tired, but, you know, we'll crack on, we're good. T's
0: kicked in, woo I'm pretty good too. How are you doing, James?
1: Uh, I am in a post covid boost fugue, so I may just yay pass out or fall asleep at some point mid episode in which case uh will can jump in and uh, update everyone on the news
2: that's is that a is that a threat or <laughs> a uh... <laughs>
0: I mean, seeing as we haven't even got notes for any news for this episode, it's definitely a threat.
2: There isn't any news. I can't. I can't possibly get the news wrong. We're not doing news.
1: <laughs> well, the the reason what we're uh, reason we are not doing the news is because this is an extra special episode where we are going to be discussing the uh, the Arkham Knights twenty twenty two scenario, Fortune and Folly. Um, this is. Um, Something that was available to folks who attended Arkham Nights in the US a month or so ago now, uh, and is also available from Games Enter uh, if you uh, if you feel like imp- yeah, importing or not importing if you happen to live in the same country because apparently people live in America. I told you I was out of it today. Um, so tonight we are we're going to have a few things. We're going to have a competition. Uh, we're going to tell you how you can get your your hands on your own copy of Fortune and Folly. Uh, we're going to start off with a, a spoiler-free discussion of the scenario, so there will be a, a clear break mid-episode if you're, if you're wanting to avoid spoilers, and then we are going to dive right in in the second half and talk all about it. Um, so, first of all, Simon, would you like to tell people how they could go about winning a copy of this scenario?
0: Well people can win a copy of this scenario by listening to this episode and then sending us an email. There is a question and the question is which member of the card game cooperative finished our recent four player game of fortune and folly with the lowest alarm level and we will give you the answer to that question in this episode before the spoiler break. You can email your answers to tcgcoop at gmail.com. That will also be in the show notes, so you don't have to go trying to work out how to spell it. Uh, Please include your shipping address in the email and your answer and your name, you know, the, the other stuff we might need to send the pack out to you. The competition closes on Sunday, the 11th of December, 2022. So it is a very short turnaround. So get your answer in quickly. And the winner will be announced in our next episode, which, uh, James, would you like to tell people what our next episode is going to feature?
1: Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, assuming the, the stars align as they are intended, uh, we will be uh, talking in a couple of weeks' time with Ian Martin, um, who is famed for for many things across the uh, the spheres of the co-op LCGs, but uh, most pertinently uh, right now, he is the designer of Fortune and Folly. So. Yeah, check back in you know, in a couple of weeks and we'll be uh, hopefully chatting with him.
0: Uh, so we also just want to give a very special thank you to the folks over at the Arkham Chronicle. Uh, they have provided us with the copy of Fortune and Folly that we're going to be giving away. Uh, they are supporting multiple competitions as part of their sixth birthday celebrations. Uh, and they have several of their own competitions going on. So their costume competition is just finished. And they will also be releasing a Fortune and Folly video that will sort of go alongside our episode here, uh, where they'll take you through what comes in the pack, what you're getting, how you can get it, and all of that good stuff. Uh, And he will also have a competition where you can win a copy of Fortune and Folly from Arkham Chronicle. So, James, would you like to take us on from there to our spoiler-free discussion? Yep. so this...
1: This first bit of the the episode, as as we say, this is uh, spoiler free, so we'll be we'll be kind of uh, giving you the the sort of general impression you'd get from from kind of opening the pack up and maybe having a quick flick through or or reading an announcement article. We won't be going too heavy on the mechanics. Um, so yeah, this was um, this was an Arkham Knight's quest uh, quest scenario. Quest is Lord of the Rings, isn't it? It's an Arkham Knight's product, so it was uh, available there for for people going. Going to that face face-to-face event? Anyone who's been to the UK Arkham Knights events? Sadly, it was not part of the packs they've been making over here. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the the main way you can get this at the moment is is by buying it directly from games Center. Um, based on kind of mutterings from Fantasy Flight and what's happened in the past, this will get a a proper retail release probably sometime around Easter next year. So Unless you're you're really desperate, um, you probably don't need to uh, to be reaching out to Game Center if if you're in the US. Go for it, why not? Uh, if you're outside of the US, the the chances are you'll be paying almost double uh, the price of the scenario just to ship and tax it. Um, whereas once it you know once it gets to uh, gets to retail, you'll probably be paying and the, you know the same as as any other standalone scenarios the same as what you played if you if you picked up machinations through time or war of the Outer gods over the last few years um in terms of you know the how much we've played the scenario we we've had what three run throughs i believe over the over the past few weeks we did a we did a three player uh session i i did a, a solo run at it and we did a a four-player run through last week. That sounds about right. Yeah, and for reasons which are, are are relevant, for reasons that will become apparent, we've played it both with and without Gloria Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> but before we go go kind of too far too far down that 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 rabbit hole, uh, Will, do you want to tell us a bit about kind of the, the thematic context setting of this scenario?
2: Yeah, so the 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 flavor text you sort of get at the beginning describes um some some uh, weird weird and unstatistical like luck happening at, at the uh, the local casino uh, and it's sort of brought to your attention by someone that it might not actually be somebody getting really lucky and in fact there might be some some hidden cthulhu-based MacGuffin there that's causing all the good luck for all the patrons but but is it all good luck uh, you know and it's down to you to you know get in there and and uh, and pinch it before the owner of the hotel can uh, the casino can maybe do nefarious deeds with it or before things get out of hand so you you put a crack team together of people and uh, you have to Bust into that casino and uh, and steal the MacGuffin. The the scenario is is sort of like split in two. Sort of you can play it in two sessions. So you've got a the setup for the heist, uh, where you where you go in and do all your prep work, and then the second part is the the heist
1: itself. Uh, so probably worth clarifying that when you say Cthulhu, you mean mysterious mythosy things. Uh, yes. That is, that is not a a spoiler of. Uh, Really yeah rising in the middle of a casino or anything uh, anything as specific as that um, but yeah let's um th- let's pick up on, on on the the whole kind of you know one scenario to two scenario thing um essentially what what you've got here uh, like any good heist you've got the uh the flashback to prepping the the heist and then you've got the heist itself so the standard i would say way of way of playing this is that, that you're gonna play play two scenarios, the one where you visit the location a few nights earlier and you try to accomplish a number of tasks. And then once you've done that, you you then play the heist itself and various things in the scenario will refer back to a checklist from Part one, and you know, if you did X, you can now do Y. That that kind of thing. It does say you can, um, you know, you can just skip straight to part B. Um, you will make life significantly harder for yourself if you do, because the answer to every question, did you do X, is going to be no. That's going to be terrible. That's going to be terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, b- based on time, I I guess you know I I could potentially see. A scenario eventually where where people you know kind of use a dice or a table or something to randomise the results of the uh, of the first part. But I think if you compare it with something like um, the Circle Undone with its um, prelude scenario, prologue scenario, this one's quite a bit more interesting. You know, it it plays like a pro- part A still plays like a proper Arkham scenario,
0: albeit a short one. It's fun as well. Yes. Part A is fun. I wouldn't personally ever skip it. I don't think. Just,
1: just in in terms of kind of very high level stuff. Do we want to do we want to talk a bit about mechanics? You know, because there's things we've we've seen in other scenarios that make a return here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea. Uh, well volunteered. Uh, oh <laughs> no, that's that's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, so we've got patrol so uh we have enemies that kind of uh follow a prescribed route around the casino so things like uh i suppose i won't i won't go into what they are i don't know if people would consider that spoilers but some might so we'll we'll, we'll avoid that but
2: generic security for a casino you know make going around making sure you're not counting cards and all that sort of stuff i suppose
0: yeah, I think
1: you know for for anyone who hasn't played uh, Murder at the Excelsior Hotel, patrol is a keyword on an enemy where rather than sitting in place or moving towards an investigator like a hunter, it yeah uh, the enemy moves probably based on on locations or or based on other factors and will kind of go about its business until until you happen to bump into it. Also, uh, returning mechanic uh, for anyone who's. Uh, played the dream eaters and has uh, spent time on the moon we have alarm coming back when you're casing the joint for a, for a heist you, you, you need to do a little bit of of poking your nose into places but you don't want it to attract too much attention um, so there, there is an alarm mechanic which is uh, which is used for this and again I don't think it's really a spoiler to say you want your alarm to be low some of the things you have to do will make your alarm go higher so I think yeah. Last last thing to say is um, obviously the, the the kind of the current campaign is the Scarlet Keys. Um, if you live in the UK, then you're hoping it's going to appear sometime in December. If you live in America, you might have it
0: already. Yeah, I think it's basically if you don't live in America, you're hoping it arrives sometime. Uh, it's, it's it's everywhere, is it? Fair enough. I might be wrong. Like don't don't like take that word as gospel, but. Either way, it's either the one that's just come
1: out or is just about to come out. Yeah. And probably if you're in Australia, you're hoping you might get Edge of the Earth sometime soon. Um, As far as I can tell, they generally get screwed over on release dates. Um, But yeah, whilst this can be done as a standalone or, you know, side scenario in any campaign, it does have extra, certainly extra text, I think, extra mechanics if you're playing it within a Scarlet Keys campaign. So. Kind of a, an extra fun thing to uh, to factor into your decisions. So, in a in, in a few moments, then when I finish this slightly rambling sentence uh, designed to allow you to uh, find your device and, and grab the pause button if you're avoiding spoilers, we are going to go on to the the full spoiler section where you can you can hear our in-depth thoughts on the mechanics, uh, how it played. And uh, how my William Yorick deck managed to end up with an improbably low alarm level, despite behaviour that many would consider alarming. Uh, <laughs> consider this your spoiler warning.
2: Somebody sound the spoiler claxons. We're going in.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So, spoiler claxon armed.
1: Okay, so main scenario then. Um so yeah. You uh, you arrive at the uh Defeat de Roulette uh casino on a on a quiet evening. I think it might have been a Tuesday. I could be making that up. Doesn't really matter. It's it's a weeknight. Things are things are fairly quiet. And yeah, it's your your job to, to case the joint. You're you're gonna go around, you're you're gonna I don't know, maybe try and beat up an employee and steal his uniform um see if you can find some sort of hidden way into the back of the casino um there is a an npc character who's kind of introduced in the narrative as the person who first alerts you to the fact that there may be maybe more to the, to this place than meets the eye maybe you can can convince her to to participate fully in the heist um heck there's there's a, a location you arrive in maybe you could just hide your stuff in there and stuff is a definition we use fairly fairly openly you know you can you can quite happily stash multiple allies be they human or animal under this location where they will be uh, be waiting for you when you come back on saturday but you know what what's the the sort of main main activity you you'd say that we found ourselves doing on the uh in part a
0: of the scenario gambling all the gambling
2: I was going to say surely it's got to be gambling (laughs) which is lots of gambling which is the main sort of mechanic of the game isn't it i suppose or the main new mechanic of the game i i've not played scarlet keys but i presume there's no gambling in that
0: i mean it it might be worth just mentioning like in this first part i think we we did touch on it there is a checklist of stuff that you've got to do and there is a, a wide variety of stuff that you've got to do but Or was it at least two of those things do involve gambling? Yeah, so you don't don't have to do all of them, but,
1: you know, kind of Midnight Mass style, the more you can accomplish, yeah, the easier things will
0: be in, in part two. I think we always had a fairly successful time of doing most of them as well, didn't we? I don't know how your solo play was, James, but I think both of the multiplayer times, we got like seven out of the eight things that were available to us.
1: Yeah, I don't think I was quite that successful in the solo, but I could have a look. Uh yeah, so I, I only managed three in my solo. I, I I can I found a vent, I convinced Is- Isamara to participate in the heist and I impersonated a high roller. Um but the activity that required a combat test, Wendy did not succeed at.
0: <laughs> I, I I don't know how well that uh that first scenario would scale down to solo. Obviously you have played it, but I feel like purely based on the action economy of it alone, this isn't like getting X amount of clues where X is the amount of investigators or things like that. It's literally just being able to get from one side of the casino to another side just to perform the actions on the locations. You're probably limited by the amount of turns that you've got.
2: Yeah, when you've got four investigators and you can each spread out, and each of you takes a yeah. task. Yeah, rather than having one person having to charge around trying to do everything.
1: I mean, I, I think something that's that's worth mentioning there. You've got um, you've got seven locations in this this part one uh, of the scenario. The first one's just kind of an entrance. Then you've got um, five gambling locations and, and a lounge, which is a sort of staging point for the 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 behind the scenes bit of the casino. Um, at the five gambling locations, there they're all going to be some variation on spend some resources, discard some cards from the top of the deck, and hope that you get a particular sequence of things. So yeah, the other thing we completely forgot to mention in the in the first part, because I wasn't sure if it was a spoiler or not, is that all of the encounter cards in this scenario have suits from a standard deck of playing cards, so you can get flushes and straights and and pairs and and whatever else, because the cards you're going to be discarding are going to be hearts and clubs and spades and diamonds. Um, you for this for this part, I think you've you've got is it eight through to queen. eight through to queen. Um, so yeah, you don't have a, a full deck of cards, but every card you have will have have some kind of uh some kind of symbol on it. So yeah, there are yeah. there are some which are easier than others. There's a couple of reasons to do this. Um the first thing is if you do it correctly you get money. The second thing yeah. is that every time you do it you get to take some clues off of the MacGuffin. Uh, the MacGuffin starts with is it seven per investigator? Nine per investigator? Lots Nine, of clues. Yeah. Nine per investigator. Because we had twenty seven when we had our three player game. <laughs> That's right. So every time you gamble, you remove a clue from the MacGuffin. If you do it successfully, you discard two. So, again, getting clues off of the MacGuffin seems to be a good thing to do, even though at this point you don't know exactly how and why. Yeah, I think probably before we go too much further into the gambling, it might be a good moment to mention the rolls. Who wants to, to talk about the rolls?
0: I have them here. So would you like me to read them out? Yes, please i mean i think
1: it'd be funnier if we make will do it whilst you just kind of wave the cards <laughs> at him and taunt him uh because most of these are not uh easily available on your do you remember this your, one, your favorite uh favorite local database
2: <laughs> i mean i can give you the very quick summary of what they what i think they were judging from the one plot four player game i played
0: oh i i kind of want to let you do it but also i think we should just give the people what they want to know <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, let's let's not confuse people
1: who don't have any easy way to know better.
2: We ten seconds or less. <laughs> there was somebody who is good. Somebody that wants to kill people. Uh, somebody that wants to gamble. Somebody who wants to parlay with people or evade people, and somebody who wants to just like diso- disorientate the the patrol keyword essentially.
0: And why would they want to do that? Well.
2: Um, so you can not get engaged by people and send them <laughs> off to your your quote unquote friends on other parts of the map.
0: Oh, you're you're talking about your the card specifically that you had. Yes. I I was looking. I suppose your card was weird. We'll start with that one, and then it will become apparent why that is different to all of the others. Yes. So, uh, Will had the thief. The thief. Yeah. Yes. So
1: yeah, essentially, these these four roles represent your. Your heist archetypes. Yes.
0: They are. They can't be discarded, and they're double-sided, so you've got like an unpracticed and a practiced side. They all start on the unpracticed side. They do. Will's card thief. Uh, when a casino enemy at a connection location resolves its patrol keyword, exhaust the thief. Change the patrol location of that enemy from clockwise to counterclockwise, or vice versa for this move. How many times did you use that, Will? I don't
2: think I used it at all in the first scenario, or maybe <laughs> once. And then in the second one, I did actually use it about half a dozen times. It, it did become fairly useful once there were like blobs of enemies moving around, and yeah. I wanted to engage one of them, not three of them. <laughs> or two instead of three, I suppose, yeah. Of course, the key part so... of that is, uh, we do, well, I suppose you'll get to it when you start reading the other ones. There's a, there's, a missing part, there's a missing piece of text off that particular yes. card, which gets interesting. Yes.
0: So the next one is the Grifter. This was the card that uh, I had. And that is, uh, when you check game icons whilst resolving an ability on a game location, so that's basically if you're gambling, mm-hmm. exhaust the Grifter and choose one. Either raise your alarm level by one to change the rank, suit, or colour of the discarded game icon to anything. Or reduce your alarm level by one. So you can cheat
1: at gambling, get more money, or trigger gambling-based objectives. But that puts your alarm up. Or if your alarm's been going up, you can bring your alarm back down again. Which is
0: good. Yes. Then we have the muscle, which was James's card. After you defeat a casino enemy, exhaust the muscle. Reduce your alarm level by one. Two instead if there are no other casino enemies at your location or a connecting location. So
1: it's worth pointing out at this point that throughout both scenarios there is a forced ability on... um, not with the actor or the agenda, but it's always in play either way, where every time you defeat an enemy with a casino trait, you raise your alarm level by one. Because it turns out, if you go around the casino murdering the staff, that thing tends to draw attention to yourself.
0: Unless there's no other staff there to see it, even if you're just a games table away. Yes, that is true. I think this one is the best of all the roles. Obviously, it's going to be very specific who can take it, but I think that's probably the easiest one to trigger across both scenarios.
1: Yeah, I certainly found with the with our three-player game, Simon, that I was the grifter in, in that one with Winnie, and in Part A, I was able to to kind of flex quite nicely, raising my alarm when I needed to win a gambling check, and then lowering it again just by gambling and failing or gambling and getting lucky. And then when we got to part two, where you leave the gambling bit of the casino and you go into the back, suddenly I had no opportunities to trigger the gambling effects and couldn't lower my alarm and it skyrocketed out of control.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's what happened to me with Gloria when I was doing, doing that stuff for us. Um, I think I, I ended up on the full 10 alarm, I think, didn't I? I think think you did, yeah. Anyway, we have a fourth uh, roll card. Uh, This was the card that Michael had. And that is, uh, as an action you can parlay, choose a casino enemy at your location, and test either willpower or intellect three. If you succeed, exhaust the face to reduce any investigator's alarm level by one. So yeah, that card is called the face. Sorry, yes, it is called the face. Uh, and that is the only card that will let you reduce any investigator's alarm. So, this is effectively the only way that Will was able to reduce his alarm.
2: Yep. Because if you are paying attention, the thief does not have a way of lowering their own alarm. So, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. How did that work out for you, Will?
2: Oh, oh, it was great. Uh, it was fantastic, in <laughs> fact. Um I I didn't much care. I was getting to the point where I was just like, you know what, what's the worst thing that could happen? Of course, uh, your alarm uh, level does have some in-game implications, such as the the skull in the chaos bag uh, is equal to half your alarm rounded up, so that can get really interesting when you're up to like eight or nine and you've got an extra minus four, minus five in the bag
0: yeah that was nasty.
2: Was there a few a couple of encounter cars that also referenced alarm levels? I'm sure
1: yep yeah, so there's there's a treachery which I think does you damage equal to half your alarm level if you feel if you fail a test yeah
2: which as Preston, who has not very good stats passing tests was very difficult. <laughs> Yeah, and of course the other ability, the other uh, rule about having a high alarm is that all of a sudden the casino staff who do all have aloof, they start losing aloof if your uh, alarm level gets raised too high. I believe it was six or more, and in it the, was six or more, yes. And the casino owner, in fact, gains hunter as he figures out your what your nefarious schemes are, and will actually chase you down the hood, chase you down through the casino.
1: Yeah, and the shroud on the casino owner's office, which is a place you get to in part two, is equal to the highest alarm level of an investigator. Oh, yes, because
2: at that point it was nine, yes. wasn't it?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's also, um, we. I think I mentioned Isamara earlier, who is the, the NPC who you can try and recruit to your cause, the, the parlay check to convince her to join you. Again, The it's, uh, I think it's Willpower, is it Willpower or Intellect? Uh, but either way, the the test difficulty is equal to the the highest alarm level, so lots of reasons to keep your alarm level low.
0: I think the the most punishing one of them is everything losing aloof because it does everything stacks up really quickly when they start to lose aloof, especially seeing as you kind of tend to just leave them milling about up until that point. I mean, I know, I know you weren't James, but the rest of us were.
2: Yeah, or you're in the other, so when you get to the, in part two, you have to then obviously break into the back rooms. So once you break into the back rooms, you, you create a second circle that the, the enemies will spawn in, the same enemies that they'll spawn in and do their loop up there. So when the, uh, when the muscle is down in the the regular part of the casino, beating up all the front of house staff, um, and the rest of you are all up in the back rooms, engaging everything and everyone, because um, apparently no one's been clearing them out because they didn't bother to
0: leave the doorway. Um, yeah, it gets, uh, it gets fairly interesting. So that probably leads us on nicely to sort of telling people what part two looks like. Uh, would you like to, to give people a quick rundown of part two, James?
1: Yeah, so... You get to to the end of part one. You, you're going to resolve a few things. You're going to take note of how many clues you've gathered. Um, you're going to take note of everyone's alarm level. And you're going to take note of which of the various tasks you've accomplished. Um, you then reset, and it's kind of yeah. If if people have played Edge of the Earth, it's it's a bit like going from Ice and Death Part One to Part Two. It's you can do it straight away, you know, or you can pack it down and and set up again. Um, the you know quite a few of the casino locations are, are the same there's a couple that flip from uh, three i think which flip from quiet night to busy night to to represent it now being the weekend and yeah you also put an extra set of locations at the back um so you know you've got your your staff room the security office the manager's office uh, and then you've got the vault um which is the uh the place where the mcguffin is to be found you are trying to get into the uh into the vault but in order to do that you're going to need to complete at least four tasks on on another checklist some of these kind of specifically follow on from from the part one activities so if you manage to steal a uniform in part one you can now impersonate a guard some things uh yeah if you manage to recruit isamara to your course she's she's the lounge singer and she can uh, mesmerize the guards with her song allowing you to, to kind of sneak back backstage so that there's something like that some are uh are, are a bit more generic it's just you know you need to nick something out of an office or you need to uh pass a particularly fiendish gambling test at the high rollers table but yeah your your task is get into the back steal the macguffin get out again which involves going all the way to the front there are various obstacles to that. One of the things is you have to keep spending clues to, to open up various stages of the back. I would say if you're a party that's going to struggle with clues, make sure you find a vent in Part A, because that allows you to save a heck of a lot of clues. And you also have the problem in Part 2 that at some point a uh, random random twist is going to come up, so you've got, you've got three of these um which are going to come out and and add some additional complications so it might be a restriction on what you can do it might be a uh an extra side quest you need to to complete with uh, nasty penalties for those who fail
0: again i feel like the side quest was less punishing than the one that stopped you from doing things
1: Wanna well, say so yeah, because
0: so we we
1: saw two of the three in our, our playthroughs. Yeah. Uh, in our four player game, it's um, essentially the, the management of, have captured a significant person from your your backstory and you have to get clues off of the uh, uh, you have to go to a certain location and spend clues within a certain number of rounds, otherwise you're all gonna take a direct hor- two direct horror and a mental trauma.
0: Uh, um, bear with Which
1: me. is very, you know, potentially bad if you're playing campaign or if you've got low sanity characters. Otherwise, if things are going well, you might be able, just be able to shrug that off. The one that we got in our three player playthrough was quite, quite spectacular. It was uh, reveal a random card and get a random effect. And we had the muscle could only fight once per turn, our clover could only investigate once per turn, and Winnie is
0: the rogue grifter etc could only move once per turn i mean you say your clover could only get clues once per turn but i don't think i got clues once per turn for the entire game anyway that was the stupidest deck to bring to this game yeah (laughs) so i don't know i don't think this is a spoiler to like too much of a spoiler to say because i know we're in the spoiler section anyway you don't really spend clues very much so if you're thinking, oh, Daryl looks like fun with all of his clue-dropping stuff, he's not. Because you never spend any clues.
1: You spend quite a lot of clues in the second half of part two. Once you get into the back,
0: you need to but spend... But not flu- quickly clues enough, of- because you
1: also need a lot of clues. Yeah, it's like get... Four per investigator clues yeah. to do this thing. Get three per investigator clues to do this thing. Yeah, there's the, the, the it, it's not a clue juggling scenario.
0: Yeah, if if your deck is based around having a few clues and then spending them and then getting a few more clues because you've had no clues, then you're gonna have a bad time.
2: Do you reckon the scenario would have been better or worse if it had a mechanic where you could spend a clue to get an extra mulligan during your gambling? And would you do that ability? Because some of the some of the tests for that. So we played, so you played Gloria in this. So some of the gambling was uh, let's say, cheating. Uh, <laughs> whereas I mean it's uh, not
0: cheating, it's using magic to get the okay. right.
2: Yes, sorry. Yeah, sorry. We use magic to make sure we had we knew what cards were coming up. Um whereas there were some, like say, to be the high roller or whatever it was, you had to go to the you essentially had to go to the big table and you had to get the equivalent of a royal flush or you know a five card streak or four of a kind which is really difficult to do purely on luck based i suppose if you've got the is it the grifter maybe doing that and you can yeah, change so- one card that it's a bit more doable but even then it, when you have to get five in a row it's still fairly difficult
1: yeah, whereas you've got both um, the the roulette wheel and the baccarat table, which are either predict the next card or predict the total of the next two cards, which when you're just kind of shooting in the dark is is very tricky. But when you're Gloria, who has just used was it Alyssa you had. Yeah, Alyssa right. is yeah.
0: MVP for this scenario because you yeah, never need just... to use the doom ability bit of it. You just it's look just at the card, fast win at roulette. Yeah, yeah. Which was like a ridiculous amount of resources as well. It was like like spend one resource and gain five.
2: It was it was one to three, I think, wasn't it? Oh, well, was, yeah, it might. Oh, one I've to got five, the card I here.
0: I can just have a look.
2: Which so that one's fine because it's it's a low cost.
0: Yeah, roulette is spend one, gain five, but you need to get the you need to get the suit and
1: the number. Yeah, so it's very difficult yeah. if you're not scrying. Yeah, name, and color, really and easy rank. If you're scrying.
2: Whereas the poker table, like the big poker table, was like three or four resources ago, which is quite expensive. So I'm. I was going to bring Preston anyway, and then I got there and went, oh, this is handy. It means I essentially, because I'm gaining four resources a turn, I can throw at gambling. <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about actual resource economy. And if I was losing all the gambling tests, it didn't really matter because I had pockets full of money just to keep throwing at them each turn.
1: <laughs> Although it did mean that you were removing clues at half speed compared to if you'd have won. I mean, I think, yeah. it, obviously, you mentioned, you mentioned Mulligan there, and it's worth kind of talking a bit about that. So, you know, with the ones where it's, yeah, discard the top five and you're looking for three of a kind or for the same suit or four in a row or whatever, with those you you can mulligan once. or so after you reveal the first five cards, you can discard any number and draw more. So I think that's where Gloria and Alyssa etc. come in there. You do the first one, and if you're going, oh, well, I've got a pair of nines or I've got three spades, which do I keep, which do I discard... You know, you can card count a bit with what's in play and what you've already seen, but actually being able to just go right, well, the next card on the deck's a nine. Right, let's keep the nines and chuck the other things. Definitely makes it a bit easier. I think going back to Will's point about being able to spend clues for an extra Mulligan, the problem with that is particularly for um, particularly for your blind playthrough, yeah. you can put, you 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 can get into a situation where you lock yourself out of the game because you've spent too many clues on a get on mulliganing tests and you now physically can't advance because you can't spend the clues you need to open up the back i I think that's why you don't tend to if there's a resource you can spend it tends to be a renewable resource whereas yeah clues need to be finite to yeah be able to complete the scenario a normal
2: scenario would would uh, definitely not do that. But considering the whole thing is about gambling, I think it would be fairly amusing to just have people get to the end and go, uh-oh, oops. Um, but that might just be my morbid sense of humour.
0: That is literally just you because I would hate that. <laughs> I, would, I, <laughs> I mean, would, at that point, I would flip the table. I'd be like... I we mean, played for about five hours on Friday. Oh, no, we played for longer two. than five hours. We played for about six hours, six and a half
2: yeah what time did we start six and we finished
0: at one we started at six and we finished at one and if you allow the time for like like if you allow for the time for the setup in between and account for the fact that we were probably chatting a bit between six and seven hours is Mm. either way you know even if it was only
1: five hours in rather than six or seven (laughs) if we'd got five hours in got to the vault door and discovered that there were physically not enough clues left in the game for us to open the vault door because (laughs) Preston had spent too many gambling then it might just be Simon and I um, recording this episode because they wouldn't have found Will's body yet
0: Uh, like uh, what they could have done but we don't really have the tokens for this if there was like a generic 1 and 3 token like there is in Champions if they made it so you could maybe go to a location and do some kind of test to see how lucky you are and you gained one of these luck resources that you could spend. So you could kind of stack your cheating in your favor, whether you had the grifter or not. Uh, but true. again, that's it's a token that we don't have and it's more stuff to do in an already quite jam-packed scenario yes you do also need to bear in mind
1: will's strategy you know when it comes to our call of cthulhu game where will will readily spend luck on whatever test it is to succeed and then just make sure he gets a new job so we can't schedule the last few scenarios of the campaign where he (laughs) dies horribly because his luck is now seven is your luck actually seven
2: uh it's not far off I'm sure it's I'm sure it's only in the two. When I started my character, I think only began with twenty two anyway. So it's not like I'm spending it willy nilly. But whenever I spend it, it's quite a large investment, as it turns out.
0: Because I didn't how, realize how. I don't know. I can't remember. Like that's like no luck. Because Will put all of his points into appearance. That's true. Oh yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, but I've got like fifty something luck, and I'm only like ten appearance less than him. I think I just put
1: that it into That might
2: stats. be equal. No. No, I'm definitely the prettiest guy at the table.
1: Yeah, he's like 90 or something ridiculous for appearance. I
0: thought. Cloud anyway, was... we're
1: we're getting a bit off uh, yes, off track for <laughs> for people who might have come here expecting something a bit more focused than one of our our <clears throat> usual two-hour rambles. Sorry. Um, so just kind of you know thinking in terms of I think we've talked about most of the key features of. Of the scenario, one one question we've got here is: Is it better to play Mystic or Rogue in this scenario?
0: Those are clearly the only two options.
2: Rogue is more thematic.
1: Mystic
0: has the scrying. I mean, I would say based on your alarm level, Survivor.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah, this is this is probably the point to uh, to to kind of clarify uh, the the answer to the quiz question and the thing we mentioned briefly before the spoiler shield. Um... Yeah, I, I was playing uh, playing uh, a killer Yorick deck um, focused on enemy management and as the others got into the uh, into the back I found myself a bit stuck out front because the way that when enemies patrol into your location some of them damage you, some of them raise your alarm levels there was a lot of points where I was like I want to move forward but I need to wait for that enemy to come in so that I can go to it um, all, almost all the enemies are aloof um, certainly all the enemies are in the the first chunk of the scenario so yeah like yeah, there's a lot of it, a lot of quite careful action manipulation but essentially what this ended up with narratively was you've got uh, these three running around the back kind of looting the offices running away from the staff trying to break into the vault Whilst Yorick just calmly strolls around the casino shooting employees in the head, and every time he shoots an employee in the head, gets lower his alarm level a bit because there's nothing suspicious about a guy shooting the staff. <laughs> Hitman Yorick, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, one other thing we haven't mentioned actually is there is a a sort of slightly uh, slightly Bella Luna twist where midway through the uh, the second half of the scenario you suddenly start shuffling in other encounter sets you go from just here are some some casino grunts to probability has been messed around with to the point where reality has snapped and here come the dimensional shamblers and various really nasty monster enemies
0: um, oh those dimensional shamblers which ones were the ones that kept on uh like multiplying was that the shambler
1: uh, no, the, the, so, so the the shambler is a unique one, and he's got victory points, so he's big. Oh, and he's tough, tough.
0: horrible Yeah, but but once he's gone,
1: he's gone. Yeah, no, the one you're thinking of, I think it was called the dimensional duplicator. Yeah, um, where every time you damage him, he basically gains a swarm card. It's disgusting.
2: Yeah, but it's not a swarm card. I recommend card. dynamite. It's not a swarm card though because it's not like it sticks to him. It's an entirely new different enemy. Uh, well, yeah. That also takes a card off the top of your deck, so as if you keep doing it, you'll end up end up having to mulligan at some point and take horror from it. So <laughs> yeah, that was that was rubbish. Oh. Especially as, let's say, you were miles away, so I think I had to deal with both of them when they turned up and the most damage I could do in a turn was two, because I was, essentially, I was paying Delilah to do all of my damage every turn um, so every time she would, like, pink one, I'd get another little minion e- engaged with me It was. Uh,
0: I fun. mean, at least you had Delilah there oh, I yeah. remember the point in time where you looked up at me Will, and went, can you kill that one that's engaged with you, Simon? At which point I pointed out to you that not only did I not have any weapons in my deck, but nor did I have any fight pips in my deck.
2: (laughs) And you also had the highest alarm in front of you. (laughs)
0: Yes. Literally zero fight pips. (laughs) That sounds like a
1: deck problem rather than a scenario problem.
0: My deck was designed to not do any fighting. I was told that Yorick would take care of everything for me. Uh, I did. I made sure there was a clear path to the exit. You did. Well, (laughs) I still had to sacrifice myself (laughs) (laughs) as I sat up in the vault just being like, Hey, look at me! Yeah, that was fun.
2: It was very entertaining to have a... uh, So in complete contrast to Yorick killing people downstairs, we had Gloria running around like a headless chicken backstage with the highest alarm level out of everyone even though she could lower her own alarm and was, and at some point just gave up letting me have the highest alarm and went, nope, it's mine now. Well,
0: the, the problem is, is that in those back rooms, there is nowhere to gamble. So the grifter physically cannot use the grifter card to reduce an alarm level. I mean,
2: I, I couldn't either, and you were still beating me. So, you know,
0: <laughs> it was fair competition. At well, that I think point. That's, that's because I was also amazingly low on health. So, when all of the cards came up saying either do whatever amount of damage to yourself or raise your alarm level by one, I was just like, "Alarm level by one, please." <laughs> um, but yeah, so then as uh,
2: as yeah, as you alluded to, once you've got the once you've got the MacGuffin, at some point we'll have to actually figure out what that card is called because I called it the MacGuffin because I couldn't remember, and everyone stuck with it.
0: The well of wellspring of fortune. The wellspring of fortune. Once you've got
2: the wellspring of fortune uh, from the vault, you have to book it and uh, escape the escape the old casino uh, with it. So it's interesting. So I didn't I didn't really real I wasn't paying enough attention to the locations until this popped up. So I I grabbed it because oh you needed to do a skill test. That's right to pick it up. Um, and I'd I'd hung on to uh, I'd just earned my three um, three aces cards skill cards, so I could just insta pass the test. So I grabbed it. Gloria ran back out of the vault and engaged the the big che- uh, owner of the casino. Uh, you know, <laughs> grappled with him for for a turn before he beat before he beat an old woman to death. Probably. Uh- <laughs> oh no, he did. <laughs> Uh, and allowed me to run out. Uh, and one of the locations has got a fun teleport system, which you hop on, reveal the top encounter card, and it will tell you which. Then it's sort of depending on which the suit is, depends which location you get teleported to. So we did a little bit of cheating on that one to figure out. Sorry, card magic um, to figure out where where we were going. <laughs> so I managed to ping ping past all the uh,
0: the really busy part of the Legitimate map. Legitimate cheating. <laughs> yeah. Is it worth talking about the Wellspring of Fortune a little bit a minute? Because it. it's it's quite an interesting card. And I guess those who've got their Scarlet Keys, it's not going to be that much of a a bit of news to them. But uh the Wellspring of Fortune is a key. And this I think this is the main way that it ties in with the, the Scarlet Keys scenario. So it's double sided. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one side of it is stable and one side of it is unstable and each side has kind of an an effect. The stable side is good. The unstable side is bad, predictably. For the purpose of playing this as a standalone, the Wellspring of Fortune's text box is, is blank. So you ignore the abilities that are on it if you're not playing it as part of the Scarlet Keys campaign.
2: Oh, Interesting.
0: As a result, yeah. I've never actually read the text on it.
2: <laughs> I read it, but I never used it. I don't think the opportunity arose to grab it, to use it, because like I say, I hung on for it for maybe six actions and one of those was resigned. But yeah, I didn't realize that text box was actually blank. So I couldn't have used it even if I'd wanted to.
1: Yeah, I think as none of us have played the campaign, it's, it's probably not a lot we can say on that one other than if you've used this in your Scarlet Keys campaign, let us know how it went. So I think we've probably covered kind of most of the uh, you know the main bullets we wanted to. Um, any, anyone got any, any last sort of thoughts or particularly memorable moments they want to share before we uh, go on to uh, Mike's irrelevant and meaningless difficulty rating? One
2: thing I'd like to do now that I've... I don't know, because so I really liked the... Um, carnival of horrors um, because of the locations in that that's based in venice and i'd been to venice maybe two years prior to that coming out so all the locations i'm sat there going oh i know that and i know that and i know that and i've been there and that's cool oh that's cool that's neat so this one is based in the monte carlo casino in monaco um and it's i've i went into the doorway I didn't go in though. We didn't, we didn't go in. We didn't, we we weren't dressed fancy enough, Uh, but I'd be, I'd be really intrigued to go. If, if I end up ever going back, I'd actually want to go in now. Now I've got some sort of sense of things and see if the layout of the casino is actually how it's laid out on the, in the cards as it were, and then find wherever that secret back door is just to have a look at it and be like, ah, that's where the MacGuffin is.
1: (laughs) So, um, if you want to uh, see Will visiting a uh, Monte Carlo casino and getting as far as the vault, uh, you can support the podcast on Ko-fi. Um, you know, if you uh, want to, th- you know, f- throw a few tens of thousands of pounds our way, then maybe Will's dream will come true. Yeah, we'll be able to buy him some clothes nice enough that they'll actually let him in. Well, <laughs> somebody had fine clothes and then committed it as uh, for its skill icons, which was. Clearly not what you do with a uh, when you're going into a casino.
2: I think I committed them in the first part, and then I had to, and then I actually wore them in the second part, as I recall.
1: Um, okay. Um,
2: but difficulty rating, then anyone anyone got any thoughts and opinions on their irrelevant and mean meaningless difficulty rating?
0: I think part one is maybe a two two and a half, and part two is like a high three, low four for me I
1: think I think one thing that that was interesting about it um the the standalone bag is nasty like if if you compare that standard bag with a standard standard bag from a campaign there's some some big negatives in there, so I think it could be very interesting to to play in campaign where you've probably got well depending on the difficulty setting you're playing on you've got potentially got a bit of an easier bag.
0: I think one one thing with that is that in this scenario aside from your standard things that you would do your skill tests for like your evades, your fights, like a lot of the stuff in this I don't feel like you go into the the chaos bag quite so much
2: just aside from your regular tests yeah there aren't any yeah I mean, I got I got uh, boned over a bit by the um, compulsive gambler card. So that's a, a treachery something anyway that sits on your investigate, sits in your um, threat area, whatever it's called. Um, and essentially, if you don't earn if you don't earn resources in the round, you have to take a willpower test. Sorry, you take a horror if you don't earn any. If yeah. you don't earn any resources, you take a horror, it, and then either way, you take a willpower test of three or more. And playing as Preston, who's got one willpower, meant that I'm never gonna pass that test naturally. I need someone else around me or a really good hand to get rid of it. Not only is it difficult for me to get to three anyway, but that chaos bag is really I'm just never gonna happen to draw the right one in there. Um, and then also, the extra bit that really boned me there was because you pressed it, and if you earn a resource just by gaining one, it'll sit on your family inheritance. So you don't even earn the resource in the long run. So, which is the sort of get round. So uh, you really were just gambling it compulsively to try and win every turn. So thematic, but you know, um, yeah, I think that's the, the, the chaos bag is, is a bit nasty. I think I'd, yeah. On campaign mode, I reckon it would be a touch easier. I'd say, if nothing else, just for more to make. Because it's not like any of the locations had horrendous shrouds or anything, aside from the alarm-based one.
1: The one that was X and was 10 by the time we got there.
2: Yeah, but that's, that, you can control that to some degree. Um,
0: I think, was was that based on the highest alarm level, or was it based on the person investigating's alarm level?
1: You're the only person who has a copy of the yeah, scenario. I'll,
0: I'll check that quickly. Because...
2: I don't know, because it was only you that was investigating it. I yeah. think it was the highest, because I was grabbing them with my um, events and stuff.
0: It's the highest alarm level yet. Hmm. So it's like, even if... Basically, if you've got Preston there, even if Gloria wasn't there, just like, I don't care about alarm level anymore. If you had Preston there, with the... Uh, which card was it you had again, Will? Uh, to earn the
2: clues was. The thief.
0: Oh, the thief. Yeah, if yeah, you had the Preston deck. there as the thief and he's racking up his alarm level hmm. and Michael's not bringing it back down with the face. Yeah. Then you're going to get up to there and it's going to be bad.
2: I mean, it didn't affect me because I, as a Preston deck, I had all of those cards which are spend money to get stuff. So I was just spending yeah. money to earn the clues that way. So.
0: Yeah. Which in the end worked out much better than my uh, right of seeking, where I was just there, like, well, I'm going to investigate a nine against this eight shroud location. <laughs> I really hope I don't draw out one of the many minus fives or that skull token, which is a four. Yeah,
1: but even even with that said, I I, I think three probably feels like a a fair rating. I I, I think part A is a bit difficult to to kind of rate because, whilst it didn't feel that hard, I never did all of the things on the list. So, yeah, it's kind of, you know, the difficulty versus what objective. If if it's difficulty of doing everything, then pretty damn hard. If it's difficulty of getting out with, you know, a few boxes ticked and in a reasonable place for scenario two, then it's pretty easy, but three seems like a good, good place to wind up. Has anyone got anything else they wanted to, to share before we, uh, before we close out?
2: No, I don't think so. Just, uh, except for, a uh, uh, you know, again, a big thank you to the, the Arkham Chronicle for, uh, the use of the, uh, the scenario so we could, so we could have a play with it. And, uh, And uh, give a a nice copy out to one of you lovely, lovely people out there.
1: Yep. And a reminder, that's send an email by Sunday, the 11th of December to tcgcoop at gmail.com with useful pertinent details like your shipping address, uh, telling us who had the lowest alarm level during the scenario. Uh, Simon, if people wanted to access more of our remotely competent content, uh, how could they they do that, or or get in touch even.
0: uh, So they can find us on Twitter at Card Cooperative. They can find us on Facebook by searching for the Card Game Cooperative. They can find all of our previous episodes on our WordPress blog at tcgcoop.design.blog As James has already mentioned, you can email us at tcgcoop at gmail.com you can find James on Discord. James, how can people find you on Discord?
1: I am um, Mighty Jim and some selection of numbers: six, seven, eight, six. But if you're on an LCG, a co-op LCG Discord, and you see a Mighty Jim, it's probably me.
0: You can find Michael lurking around Reddit at uh, Reddit as underscore Eric the Cleric and you can come and join us on our own, the Card Game Cooperative Discord channel. I will pop an invite for that down in the show notes, so check out if you fancy coming and talking to us.
1: Boop, boop. Good stuff. Well, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, good luck with your gambling if you find yourself uh, entering the casino anytime soon.